emerging adults, and welcome to the very, very first episode of How to Adult with Saikai at Help, where we explore how to be an adult. Because frankly speaking, being an adult is like eating xiaolongbao with soup spoon and chopsticks, and I am a knife. But it's alright, cause today I am your host Janine, and on today's menu, from psychology to politics, and joining us today is our guest. And Psychi alumni, Alethea Wong. Welcome, Alethea. Hi, everyone. So, Alethea is a psychology graduate who is currently serving as the chief of staff to the member of parliament for Subang. And before this, she was also a Perdana Fellow for the Deputy Prime Minister's Office back in 2019 when Dr. Wan Aziza was in office. So I don't know about you guys, but politics isn't exactly a well-known career for us in psychology. So in today's episode, Alethea will be answering some of our burning questions for her regarding her career pathway in politics. And hopefully this will give all of us some insights for our own career path. But before we dive into the main section of our episode today, I'd like to take some time to properly introduce our audience to the program and explain why we're calling our audience the emerging adults. So we'll get back to you soon, Alethea. Please hang tight. So for, how, for the rest of our audience here, How to Adult is about peeling back the many layers that comes with becoming an adult. Because let's be real here, nobody prepared us for this. So, each episode will be jammed packed with insights and guidance from emerging adults and full-fledged adults alike, where we will look into important questions like, what do I do after graduation? How do I manage my time? Should I move to another country? What are taxes? And why are there so many of them? So, if you are an emerging adult like us, join us on our journey to becoming full-fledged adults. And on today's menu, psychology careers in politics. So heading back to Alethea, let us kick off with our first question for you. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. Great. So our first question is, what exactly drew you into this career path? Was there a moment of inspiration or was it more like a gradual realization? Right. Um, so first and foremost, um, thank you to Saikai for having me. I think it's been a pleasure just to be able to come back as an alumni, just to share a little bit more about this unconventional pathway that I've taken. Now, I think for most of your audience that have dialed in here, I think maybe a little more you might be curious about how politics is. Um, maybe you have some questions, maybe you're uncertain, so we can explore that. So I think, you know, like most psychology graduates, um, I don't think when you join psychology, you know clearly what you want. But I think I'm somewhere in the bulk of the, the population of psychology where, you know, I came in with the intention of um, practicing psychology. You know, I my in before I joined psychology, I've always dreamt of becoming a psych clinical psychologist, right? So I don't think um, it was something that I figured out immediately. And I don't think many of us uh, will be able to figure out immediately what you want to do. And it's definitely a gradual process, right? So I think when I first joined, um, of course, you know, being inspired uh, through all the freshers luncheon, if you all still have that, you know, panel speaking, so and so. So, you know, I was very inspired by this um, clinical psychologist. And of course, you know, I really wanted to become a psychologist. So hearing from a clinical psychologist was even more so inspired. So I think that expand 
you know, the first year of my, my entire uni life, very focused on um, committing to things that would eventually give me a pathway towards clinical psychology. So that would really entails like doing a lot of research projects, um, anything that I do, I ensure it was related to clinical psychology or counseling to a certain extent, um, taking in modules, uh, this, that sort of stuff. So I'm sure you all, you, all were, you all had that kind of experience, right? So that was the really initially the, the first year that I had. Then came second year, um, which was the year that we were doing internships. I think, I believe um, some of the organizers have shared that you guys are currently in your internship, right? So then came the year that I was doing my internship. I was supposed to do my internship and largely we were supposed to figure out where we wanted to go. And I think then um, I was contemplating whether do I want to go down to the path of interning at a, at a center, psychological center, or, you know, do something else, right? Um, but I, at that point in time, I felt that, you know, um, maybe I should give myself a chance and try something else that I wouldn't do um, other time. Simply because I feel like, you know, if I have a whole life ahead of me to commit to psychology, why not do something that I feel like I will never have the chance to do? So I just felt that that internship period was a properly carved out time for me to commit to something that I wasn't able to do. So then I took up, uh, I took up an internship at a consulting uh, arm uh, under PwC, which is one of the big four uh, uh, professional services uh, firm, right? So then I took up consulting, and that's where I think in my second year I was starting to gear a little bit more to the corporate sector world. You know, my interest in consulting sparked. Um, at that point in time, I was also doing quite a few. Um, non-profit organization initiative, uh, professional development, right? So I was involved in some of the organizations like ICMS, uh, Young Corporate Malaysians, doing things, corporate stuff, right? Business cases, so and so. So I was really interested in that. Uh, so that was basically my, my second year. But of course, I think with that interest in mind, I never really forego the idea of practicing psychology. And I felt that with all these interests I have in the corporate world, because it's just so exciting, right? You know, it's so fast-paced, um, you know, things like that happen. I never really let go of the idea of still wanting to practice, right? So eventually, um, in the second half of my um, second year, if I remember correctly, after my internship, I actually took up a part-time stint at a clinical center. So I made sure I carve out one day that I do not have classes and that one day I would commit myself to the center. So I think for a period of close to eight months, every Wednesday I was going into the clinical center learning about um, counseling, autism, all sorts of theory, uh, therapy, speech therapy, play therapy, that sort of stuff, right? And I think through that stint, right, and I'm glad, I'm really glad I actually did that stint because through that stint, I kind of figured out that maybe it's not for me for various reasons. Um, number one, I just think uh, uh, it's an industry that is great, but I think personally, maybe because of my character, my personality, my working style, my preferred working environment, I felt that maybe the the psychology path is not for me, right? So then I slowly let go of that path, then came year three. Now came year three, when I was in year three, if uh, that was the GE, um, uh, GE, 14, GE 14 year, right? Of course, then before that, I was not politically uh, um, active at all, I would say. I think even in my second year, I was very focused on just, don't talk to me about anything else, just talk to me about psychology, research, and like, I'm just very focused on like writing research papers, presenting at conferences, that sort of stuff, right? Then came the, the third year, um, which I was fortunate to meet a group of friends as well. Um, from there, we actually co-founded uh, Undi 18, um, which is one of the movements currently happening in Malaysia right now, which is a movement to, to lower down the voting age, right? So I was one of the very early founding team members uh, together with my friends, uh, who they have now gone on to be very successful. And I've, I've taken a bit of back, back step. And I think through that movement, and a lot more from there, um, I think I started to begin uh, be a little bit more politically aware, 
right? Uh, then came that year, GE14. Um, that time, I was still not able to vote. Uh, but of course, because that being said, you know, I was not entirely demotivated, right? I think participating in democracy comes in many ways, right? So what I actually did uh, then was I actually volunteered with um, the United Nations uh, and under the Human Rights Commission where I was actually um, placed as an election observer to observe for fraud, um, election misconduct, um, uh, corruption, so and so. And I think through that process, right? Um, I still remember very, very clearly that night uh, of uh, GE14, you know, um, results were still not out till like two o'clock in the morning. You hear stories on the ground that allegations that certain results are not being uh, released. So I was there to witness all of it firsthand, right, to see what was actually true on WhatsApp and what is actually fake news on WhatsApp. And I think through that, right, um, that aura on the street, that vibe on the street that you have when... Uh, things were certain announced, or at least the democracy process actually went through smoothly, right? I think it was just a feeling that was, we'll never be able to replicate anywhere else, uh, regardless of what revolution comes after this, right? So I think through there, um, it was sort of my, my awakening to wanting to be able to do more, right? So I think I figured, you know, Undi 18 really gave me a, a very big platform. And I think through what, that was one of the big turning points. Wow, that is a huge roller coaster right if I would say like to imagine like your your journey from politics I would say like indirectly started from year two with internship and everything and wow I, I think it would be very very helpful to our emerging adults as well actually I'm really, really really glad that you found something that you want to like continue on to and to work towards and yeah I'm really really, really excited to see what else would you bring into our political <laughs> political standpoint in our country so thank you so much for that question for the answering that question Alethea so we'll move on to our next question so um you are currently serving as the chief of staff to the member of parliament for Subang and okay this is personally my <laughs> my burning question so what does your work look like for you can you tell us about your main responsibilities as well as like run through like how does a typical day of work look like for you Largely, my job uh, is really to coordinate the, the, the staffing in my office, but at the same time, um, to advise uh, the, the member of parliament what, is, uh, what are some of the things to do, uh, possible next steps, right? Um, so say, for example, when parliament is in session, uh, I am also uh, the head, the lead researcher here, so I, I wear two hats, uh, right? Apart from being a chief of staff, I am also the research officer, right? So I think um, the bulk of my job is really to uh, research on facts on certain things that he, the member of wants to speak or debate about and then from there my job is really to craft a speech from there but I think the the, the bulk of it is also um, on top of that I do have to write research papers to actually provide policy suggestions to the government so I think my my day would start as early as around um, 8 to 9 um, my, my office actually opens at 10 um, but my, my job, really, my work, I typically start around 8 to 10 to really just understand what, what happens uh, throughout the day. Then usually at 10 o'clock, that's where a lot of the meetings start happening. So usually I would spend, I would actually try to plan that the morning, uh, we try to reserve the morning before lunchtime for all meetings. So usually from 10 to 12.30, I would usually be in meetings, sitting in various meetings. Then comes around um, the noon time, usually um, that's where I have a little bit more downtime. Uh, that's where I actually start to get to work on some of the cases that I have, it, be it research work or constituency work. Now when Parliament is in session, like what you guys see last week, so usually um, 
if parliament is in session, I my part my schedule largely depending on what time parliament ends. <laughs> wow. I, I really never imagined just like how much work goes behind everything that we see on the media. And yeah, I really I really can see that just how um packed your schedule is and I'm really, really thankful that you can join us today just to have this session. So um let's move on to our next question. So in your experience, what do you think would be the three main attributes that would contribute to having a good fit into this career path? And also perhaps maybe you can give one practical advice on how can someone from psychology move into politics for their career path? Okay, um, so in terms of attributes, I think it's a combination of both soft skill and, and technical skills. I'll try to cover both. Um, I think largely personally for me is um, definitely on top of all the soft skills that you have, you know, leadership, communications, all that, I think in the 21st century, all of those things, I feel like it's a given uh, in each of the job, right? Um, you know, being a team player, that sort of stuff. I, I think it's a given in any of the workplace right now. I'm, I'm sure all of you would know if you're in an internship right now. But I think one thing that is particularly required in this job is you must have the ability to write um, both in English and also in Malay. I think that, that's a caveat I need to give. Uh, largely, part of the job of an MP is also to educate the public on what is happening. Um, there's no point going to the debate if you're just debating on things that you understand, but the public does not understand as well, right? So more often than not, my job is um, I have to write sophisticated papers, right? After that, when he's about to speak in, and debate in the hall, how do I convert all of that information into something that is very concise? Because we always have a time limit. Concise, we capture people's attention, but at the same time, we do not mislead people with just sound bites or clickbaits, right? Um, so I think, you know, having the ability to write well, um, and I think the kind of writing that we really require is commentaries, right? So that's me on, on the, the technical skills. Um, the soft skill, the one thing that I would say is that... Um, on top of leadership, communication, so and so, I think one thing it's very important is uh, you have to be very adaptable um, and to be very quick on your feet. Uh, simply because politics is a, sometimes things are slow, um, sometimes things are very fast. And when what I mean by fast, uh, usually things change by the minute. Um, and I think the lastly, the, the, the last attribute I would say um, is probably, um, uh, how do I say this? Um, critical thinking. Right. Um, what I mean by critical thinking or an analytical thinking um, that is very, very uh, important um, is not in the, in the context of academia um, and analytical thinking, but I think it's in the context of scrutinizing um, government's policy. Usually when the government tables a policy from us uh, to us, you know, they'll hire like a bunch of consultants and they'll pay like millions um, to actually draft this very nice booklet with like nice infographics. But our job primarily uh, as research officers and member of parliament is how do we see through all of that to actually break down the policy and understand what are the pros and what are the cons, um, what, are, what are the, you know, the pain points of the policy, right? So if I were to summarize, writing skill and research skill is, is two in one. Um, second one is um, adaptability or quick on your feet. Uh, which equates to working under high pressure. Um, of course, the last one is to critical critical thinking and analytical thinking, the ability to ask the right question at the right time. Wow, those things are really, yeah, I, those, I feel like those are very important attributes, not just in the realm of politics, but also I would say life in general, we need to 
you know, have more critical thinking skills as well as to be more adaptable. And yes, thank you so much for sharing. Moving on to our next question. And yes, I believe this is a very popular question for all career interviews. So Alicia, how much do you make on a monthly basis? Uh, If we're not comfortable with giving us a debt figure, like maybe you can give us a range as well. So like what will fresh graduates be looking at and what are like the increments as well? Okay. Um, Unfortunately or fortunately, uh, I would say that the the pay schemes, uh, it varies from office to office. Um, So I wouldn't say there's a a fixed grade, but I would say that my, I'm, I'm quite, proud or at least uh, quite sh- certain to say among the opposition members of parliament um, my office rate it has been considered one of the mid above middle um, so I'm paid somewhere 3.5 to 4 uh, 3.5 to 4.5 like that um, that's where I, I range uh, now if you're asking for career progression again um, each office depends on the mem- MPs how they structure their office some offices are structured a little bit more politically so some of them, when they are in there, they are not just doing it as a job, but they also eventually have an intention of becoming a politician eventually. So those kind of people, they usually climb a very different path. But my the office that we run is purely a professional office, so it's not political. Uh, I I don't deal with uh, scandals. That's I, I mean I don't deal with scandals that much. Um, I don't recruit members that sort of stuff. So I would say that the career progression is not lean. Um, not the not linear. Right. Uh, it's not like in a corporate firm where if you after you work two years, you're you're guaranteed a promotion, and even your guarantee of promotion is like a ten to thirty percent uh increment. No, it's really depending on how much money the person have and how much the the politician is willing to keep you. Uh, you need to understand that in the political office, um, a lot of it is based on trust and goodwill with the officer. Um, simply because we work in a very sensitive environment, so if the politician feels like you are a keeper. For various reasons, you're capable, um, they want to elect you as a, as a public representative eventually, uh, then they would come up with a different scheme for you. I see. So, yeah, I guess there's really no, not much of a defining race that we can work with. Like I said, like you have said earlier, everything depends on who you work with. So, but then there you have it, emerging adults, our million dollar question. Yes, pun intended. So if you're looking to join into this industry, then perhaps this can be one of your factors that you can consider in when you are considering politics as your career. So uh, let's move on to our next and final question before our audience Q&A session. So Alethea. The reason why we call our audience the emerging adults is because that in our it's because of our current age. We're about to 18 to 25. And in many cases, we often feel lost and confused on how to become a successful adult. I'm sure that you have also felt this way at our age, you know, with your internship and all your roller coaster ride before your career in politics. So could you give your perhaps your younger and emerging adulthood self a short message? Maybe just a 30-second message? Okay. Um, I don't think I'm there as quite as an adult there yet because I think I don't, I'm not that far much older than you all. Um, but I think if, if I had to look back in time and just give myself one message, I think what you need to understand is that um, career, your career progression does not have to be linear all the time. 
So by what I mean by linear, it's like imagine you being a y-axis and an x-axis, meaning that your graph is constantly straight upwards at a certain degree of like 45 degree constant constant upwards, right? So I think, you know, um, there's, there's no linear career pathway. There's never a linear career pathway. Some have been fortunate to have it, but most of the people do not have a linear career pathway and they still end up to be very successful. And I think... Um, um, drawing upon that, right? I think you do not have to be too worried about where you start your career. There's no perfect starting point, right? But there's only um, constant growth that you're putting into yourself, right? So don't be too worried about thinking that your first job is going to define how the rest of your career is going to look like. I don't think what you study or where you start eventually will define how your path looks like for the rest of your career. But I think it's largely a lot about what you do to ensure that you are continuously moving in your career growth. It's okay if you don't go outwards. Sometimes you might go down, you might go sideways, right? But so long as you're moving somewhere, I think that is a growth in itself. And I think that is already commendable. Wow, Alethea. Thank you so much for answering that question. And I believe a lot of us actually needed to hear that, you know, especially if we're so, when we're so afraid of our current situation, how are things moving forward? And it's very, very comforting to have someone tell us like, you know, it's okay. As long as you keep on moving, you'll get somewhere that you want to go. So thank you very much for that. Uh, okay, so we do have some questions coming from our audience. And then the first question that we have from our emerging adult is, what is the current level of interest or depth of application of incorporating behavioral nudges into public policy in Malaysia? Okay, that's a fantastic question because that was rightly so what was the reason why I was brought into this picture. Um, so apart from my work as a member of parliament, uh, I also serve the leader of opposition uh, because like I said, usually officers are moved around uh, and I happen to be one of the very few um, young Chinese female psychology students around. Uh, one of the questions, the question was incorporation of behavioral aspects such as uh, nudge or game theory, uh, behavioral economics essentially they call it, right? Um, in Malaysia currently, um, not I would say in the government itself, uh, it's not something that is very common. Uh, it's not part of practice, um, simply because I don't think we are there yet or we don't have enough people to do that. Another part of the job, uh, which was one of the, uh, the things that I'm doing, uh, which is behavioral, behavioral, behavioral economics, um, we are trying to, to nudge, uh, not nudge, uh, but we're trying to propose certain things that incorporates um, change management element into policy changes, right? Um, but I would say that where we are at is very, very premature. Um, a lot of the things that I'm doing right now is very, very beginner level. Uh, I've read more sophisticated documents um, and I don't, think, I don't think we are anywhere close to there yet. Uh, but I think um, there is beginning to have interest. Um, so if you want to go down that path, I think the government may not be hiring at the moment, but I think there are a lot of consulting firms who are actually trying to propose this idea to the government. I see. Thank you for answering that question. Uh, yeah, it's actually quite interesting to know. And I hope for our fellow emerging adult that out there, I hope that would answers your question. So uh, we have about two more questions coming in. And the next question would be, I heard many of them said that if you want to become a member of parliament, you must understand and memorize law like law students did. 
So did you take any law courses or sit for any exams? Okay, uh, no, I, I did not have a, a background in, in legal, but I think, um, yeah, so the quick answer is no, you, you don't need that. Um, but uh, if you have that kind of background, it's always an advantage. So I would say that the coming back to the question, um, no, but I think on the job, I did manage to learn and pick up a lot of the legal knowledge. Um, but what you need to understand that as a member of parliament, there's only a very few aspects of law that you deal with, um, primarily on the member of parliament's office, right? Um, unless you are sitting in the government bench, uh, uh, which is uh, the cabinet, where you then you may need, uh, and you sit in the, the law office, particularly the Ministry of Law. If not, then it's, it's okay if you do not have a legal knowledge. You can always hire a consultant. So it's not a hindrance, but it's just an added advantage if you do. I see. Thank you very much for answering that question. And we'll go on to our last question, which is, would you say research and academic publishing in psychology actually have power to affect policy making in Malaysia? Okay. Um, I think it's always, um, in everything that you do, I always feel that there's always a power to change. It's just a method. Because basically what, you, what you're essentially saying is that, is there a power to change Malaysia? And obviously Malaysia is facing so many issues, right? And all these issues concerns everyone on a daily basis, right? What I think largely the problem with Malaysia is that these individual sectors or industries are working in silo that they're not communicating with each other. So say, for example, um, psychology, right? There's already so much research on behavioral economics, benefits of counseling. I don't know why in the 21st century in Malaysia, we're still arguing the need to increase resources for mental health, right? But I think there's already so much research out there talks about the benefit of counseling, the benefit of having a healthy work environment, the benefit of all sorts of things, right? Job satisfaction, meaning of work, um, uh, corporate culture, that sort of stuff, right? Uh, that sort of stuff. Right. Um, and even benefits of speech therapy and like why speech therapy should be considered as part of the healthcare system, why mental health should be part of the, the claims under insurance, all that sort of stuff, right? Um, right. But I think that the main fundamental problem in Malaysia is that um, more often than not, these uh, research are not in language understandable by the public, okay? Um, which is why I think coming back to my, my point in terms of attribute is that the ability to write in a manner that people can understand not just about publishing, how do you actually communicate to a lot of these ideas more to the people out there? Which is why I think slowly, um, from a politics standpoint, I've slowly started to see a lot of the people in psychology actually coming out to speak and communicate and educate the public a lot of these topics. As a job of member parliament is also to educate, right? Um, so I think everyone in the society has a role to, role to educate. Um, so when you, you when you already have these content, right? How do you put it in a manner that is understandable by people? Um, your research and findings, so and so. And apart from publishing, right? How do you actually find avenues to actually get your content out there, right? People only go to journals when they need journals, right? But how do you put the content out there to mass media? Uh, is it through infographics, communicating with press, writing more op-ed articles uh, about these kind of issues, right? So I think. The research outcome is yes, but I think that you need to take form differently. And I think some of the few think tanks out there are trying to do great work. So I think, you know, publishing, not the end goal, just step, the first step. All right. Thank you so much, Alethea. So with that, I believe that marks the end of our episode today. So on behalf of the Emerging Adults and the Psychi team, 
thank you so much for kicking off the series with us, Alethea. It's been an absolute joy to interview, and I, for one, have learned a lot, and I mean a lot, about this career pathway. Once again, I am your host, Shanine, and thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you for next episode. Goodbye, everyone!